Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I am bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Dutch House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me on the other end of the line. Way out in Kansas, Mr. Ryan Warden. Ryan, I'll tell you this, man. Anything else besides being the most popular podcast, one of the top, you and Jeff are neck and neck, I'll have to say that. Besides being neck and neck, top podcasts on the End of the Line podcast, the conversation that's being created from this podcast is amazing on Duck South. For, yeah, for sure. I'm not... Uh... Call it what you will. I'm a pretty honest guy, and or I try to be. And I was not a Duck South follower prior to it. Um, but there has been a tremendous amount of positive, negative, neutral, all sorts of feedback produced on that Duck South podcast, and. I think you have a tremendous amount of knowledge on there. I think you have a mix of what I would call woodsmen on there, and I think you have a mix of what I would call federal agents on there. And there's, it's, it's, an, it's a very interesting mix. I love it. And I think it's very educational. And I think people can build off of it. When it comes time to make some future decisions, so you know, I thought that this was a very interesting question that popped up last week, though, Ryan, and it's something that you and I have talked about off the air. Um, a different, a lot of different podcasts before we started recording, and you know, it, and somebody put it in print though. Jake Wesley, the guy that that made the post last week on Duck South on Thursday. Let me just read this to you, Ryan. So this may have been covered, but if so, I missed it. Listening to the Warden podcast, I keep running across the same question in my mind and can't figure out how it would hold up in court. So here's the example. If the clients of an outfitter shoot over the limit, how does the fault fall on the outfitter? It seems the individual will be held responsible for their limit. Furthermore, second part of the question, 
How can a federal game warden intentionally shoot over the limit without recourse because, quote unquote, they're working and it become the fault of the outfitters? So two parts to this question, Ryan. If, if, somebody sh if a regular guy shoots over the limit with an outfitter, how is it the fault of the outfitter? How, why is he getting the ticket? Secondly, how can a federal game warden on a so undercover hunt shoot over the limit there's your two questions okay so the first question is would my response to that would be one how are you going to determine who shot what and if you if you have an answer for that that's good and that's great but it, is it good enough to hold up in the in the court um you're you're the guide you're getting paid money to so what if let's just let me just give you a scenario and every listener can have the same scenario if you want a free hunt to san paulo brazil and we were going to hunt ducks in unit 32a subsection C6 and you come down and we shoot 687 ducks in one day and I say hey we're that's our limit we're there 687 after that can't can't shoot 688 and shoot 687 don't don't tell me what I want to hear, but tell me the reality of it. Are you going to know any different? Probably not. So the feds are going to hang the guy that's making the money to tell people what's going on, and that's the outfitter. Whether you like it or not, that's the reality of it. They're going after the head of the snake, and you're the head of the snake. So if if a client shoots over, first off you gotta you gotta prove that he shot over. Is it easier to prove that the outfitter went into the field with two guys? The limit was twenty one or eighteen. What's what eighteen is better than twenty one? Um the limit was 18 they shot 30 but the clients claim they didn't know i mean there's there's a lot more responsibility whether anybody wants to say so or not there's a lot more responsibility that falls on the head of the outfitter now moving on i'll say this, i think we run you, you, as an outfitter, you have guys that push you all the time. And That's I'm not speaking time. of the just a, a number limit on waterfowl, but yeah. you get guys you wanting limit? to can you do this. I can I, Yeah. I mean, I had guys the night the feds were here. One of them got on refuge forms and talked more shit than anybody in the United States talked about me. And his comment that night, he was screaming out from the layout blinds that I can't count. 
And I'm like, my I didn't have to say anything. My my guide said I can, and we're we're done. And so, I, I would say that, look, look, Ryan, the type of people that we're doing that we're dealing with as guides. You have to understand, they're not regular. A lot of them are not regular guys just like you that's listening to this podcast. They are a privileged group of people. And if the ducks are flying hot and heavy, ah, one or two more won't matter. Let's do it. Come on now. I, I, I need a good pintail to mount. Let me shoot. Let me shoot. Look, that one's all messed up. Let me shoot another one. All the time, okay. pushing the limit. Look at them; they're coming in. I know it's thirty-five minutes before sunrise. Let's shoot now; they're going to be gone. So here's the here's the cold hard truth and the reality of it. Before I was an outfitter, those were all thoughts that went through my head, and I'm I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not going to tell you that I didn't take action on that. I mean, as as an aggressive outdoorsman, I don't, I you know, I can't say at age twenty seven when I was balls to the wall that I respected game like I did at age forty or. I agree with that. Whatever, and 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 I don't mean it bad, and and I'm I'm not, uh, you know, I really hope that guys listening to me aren't like, yeah, he's he's that guy, but. I kind of was that guy. I mean, when I was younger, I was kind of that guy. I mean, there was times when he went to Dove Fields when I was 17 years old and shot over the limit. There was times when I drove down the road, a dirt road, from a 3A high school in the middle of southwest Kansas where there wasn't water within 100 miles, and we shot birds off a power line and we were driving down the road. I mean... The art of driving down the road at 55 miles an hour and driving with your left leg on the steering wheel and your right leg on the gas and a, two hands on your gun and making a shot as a bird oh, flies off the power line, there's some talent to that. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not going to tell you, because I'll be the first one to tell you that I did those things. I did. I, you know, I, I just don't think at that age you respect the game. I don't, I don't think you respect the game. And to the young guys that are out there listening, I'm going to challenge you to this. It's not, I'm not necessarily saying that you don't respect the game, but I am challenging you to this, to respect the game. And you, you you may not realize this at age 26, and it may be a great time to drive 65 miles an hour down a road and watch three does peel off it and try to pull off a triple and let your dog out of the back of your Ford Ranger to go get them on property that you don't have permission on, but you're not respecting the game. It may be fun. You know what? Going to Toy Story ride in Disney World and shooting flying hoops up on the screen is the same amount of fun, and it's legal. So to the young guys out there listening, be careful what you're doing 
because I will agree with the game wardens on one aspect of this, and it's they're trying to protect your heritage, and they want you to respect the game. And that's, that's I think, until you're older, there's that magic moment when you start respecting the game. I think that's what it is. I'm hey, not really scared we, of you. Before we point. jump back into that part of the story, though, Ryan, how can a fed shoot over the limit, break the law? Okay, yeah, sorry. So I got distracted. So how does an undercover agent sell drugs? How does an under how does an undercover agent become a prostitute and sell sex and then arrest you for that? There's nothing in the law that says they have to be honest with you. And there's nothing in the law that says they can't break the law to get you to break the law. And everybody screams entrapment, including me. Shit, I was a cop for seven years or more, and I was the first one to think entrapment. But give me one entrapment case. There's not. They're just not there. There's nothing there. Is there more cases of me and Jeff, or are there more cases of entrapment? Well, oh, Bob, he got let off because uh, entrapment. No. Nobody hears that case, right? Everybody hears, well, Jeff, he, I felt like they trapped him, but he got it good. Oh, Ryan, I felt like they trapped him, but he got him good. There's a let. You can send an ever, undercover agent out on the street to buy $20 worth of marijuana or $50 worth of sex or whatever. They get in the vehicle, go off, take the drugs, go on. That produces a search warrant. So, I mean, that's the deal. They're going to manipulate you to break the law in order to get a search warrant to come after the whole deal. So they're going to manipulate you to sell them $20 worth of marijuana so they can come to your house, take your vehicle, take your mom's vehicle, take your mom's house, your cousin's house, your brother's house, your sister's house, Seize them at the same time, find when they go in there, they're going to find scales, they're going to find cocaine, they're going to find this, they're going to find that. And then all of a sudden the case grows from an A-level case to a B-level case to a C-level case. And it's the same thing across the board. It's no different than what they did for me. Hey, you know what? He's not tagging. Oh, snap. We're going to go ahead and document how many times he doesn't tag. And then we're going to take it to a judge and say, he's doing this for money, so it's a Lacey Act violation, so these are all felonies. We're going to come in and search his whole deal, his whole lodge, his house, cameraman's house, take all this footage, and we're going to find something else. Dead bodies in the basement. Videos of this, videos of that. Admission of this, admission of that. And guess what? It wasn't that easy. 
they didn't find it. I made it really not easy because I walked out. My guides didn't know any better. So they sit there and answer questions. But if you really don't know or have anything good, then your answers aren't that good. So a federal game warden, whether you think you can yell entrapment all day, and I love all you listeners, I'm glad, and I'm glad you're listening. And I'm glad you're supportive of the fact that you think it's entrapment. I think it's entrapment, too. 100% I think it's entrapment. I think it's bullshit. I think it's entrapment, but it's not going to hold. It's not going to stick up. It's not going to be a defense. They're going to bait you. You're going to take the bait. You're going to take the bait. You're going to shoot. Look what they did. Look what they did to Tim Grounds. Couple feds showed up with him, loaded blanks, shot. Tim Ground shot their limit. They charged him with party hunting, whatever. And wow, I didn't know that. Oh, two weeks, two within within thirty days of Tim Ground's passing, me and him talked on the phone on the way home from work, and he's. We talked about him, we talked about Jeff, we talked about the start, we talked about tags. I mean, ultimately, I sent him tags in the mail, and he called me. Because anybody that knows Tim knows Tim's like that. He's very vocal, and he's going to tell you what he thinks. And he said, you know what, I've used, I've used um, like, packing, meat packing paper, Kid's got a wax on one side. He said, I've used meat packing paper and what you'd use to, to like, bail a square bail, like the twisted twine. And he said, I've used that my entire life written on it. And he said, I think you have a great deal. And I still have the, the initial voicemail when I was at work, I still have today. I've kept on my phone. It's legendary. And he said, I think you're doing a great thing. Call me. And he told me, you know, I have a duck club. Everybody thinks I'm guiding, but I'm not. I have a duck club. I'm going down there to spray weeds and mow and this and that. And the hours I spend on that duck club, it's worth being a member at this price. And he died doing that. And Tim Grounds was the greatest of great. Him and Jeff were like the originals. They were the best of the best. Oh, yeah. And it broke it, it broke my heart to see that. And when Jeff, you know, and I, I'm not trying to speak out of bounds or whatever, but when Jeff was in trouble and Jeff was, Jeff was doing time, who do you think went and saw Jeff? And maybe Jeff will tell me wrong, but this is what Tim told me. He said, you know what? When Jeff was in trouble, he think he to visit Jeff when he was in prison. Tim stated that he was, he was it. That nobody else went. And I knew that I didn't as a friend of Jeff's. But, you know, 
I mean, you don't ever really think you're that great of a friend as a distant celebrity. I'm not calling myself as a celebrity, but you're you're kind of the guy in Kansas. You're not really like. It's like I cared about Jeff and I cared about his future, but I'm, I mean, it wasn't like he was my neighbor. And so, what if I show up and he says no? I drive however many hours to get to him, and he says no, I don't want to visit him. So, Tim said, not Tim. Other people said Tim was the only one that showed up to visit Jeff. And I knew Tim and Jeff well enough that I asked Tim. And Tim said, I was, as far as I know, I'm the only one that showed up to visit Jeff. And he said, me and Jeff started this deal. You know, he'd been running hard when he met Jeff. That Tim had been running hard when he met Jeff and they were in the South and this and that. And he had a great amount of respect for Jeff and whatever. But very interesting, deep stories, behind the scenes stuff. I love the fact that Hunter is moving on with him stuff. You know, Hunter was a baby when I first met Tim and then his first calls in his hands and this and that and then junior world championships and whatever. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just a legacy that has been grown and I'm super, super could not be more proud to see Hunter carry that on as a legacy. I mean, every, every guy wants their son to do that. So that's great. But sorry to get sidetracked. That's just my two cents on the two most legendary guys in the industry, in my opinion, which would be, you know, Jeff and Tim. So, no, uh-uh. you didn't get sidetracked at all. So, all right, let's get back to your story now. So you're sitting in a jail cell in Wichita, Wichita, right? Correct. So you really do not hit hit rock bottom till all pride is removed. Do you agree with that? I mean, I agree at that at that point. I don't. I mean, I don't really know how to explain it. You're probably at rock bottom. But you're just your your legs are still pumping. You're pushing. You're moving forward, or you at least think you're moving forward. You're driving things forward, and you think, you know, that was kind of there was a song I I don't recall it right off the top of my head, but it talked about when the times were tough. And you basically you felt like you were in hell. Just keep moving, and you would push your way through it. It was a country song. I'm sure there's fifteen thousand listeners out there that know what it is, and fifteen thousand listeners out there that have no clue. But um, it was talking about when the going gets tough, you just got to keep moving. You can't stop in the mud. 
And anybody that's ever been hunting in the woods knows when you're pulling out through a field and you start to feel your vehicle sink, if you hit the brakes or let off the gas, you're in trouble. If you mash the gas and push through it or turn around, you have a way better chance of making it than letting off the gas. And I remember feeling like, I mean, one, I was a little pissy because I'm like, I can't get a hold of you guys. Why aren't you answering the phone? Come get me. I'm sitting in a jail cell. I'm an ex-cop. I'm in Wichita. Come get me. Blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't. And I'm thinking, I was with you guys earlier. You know. Well, it's 4 a.m. and they're asleep. My parents don't know. Nobody knows. So, finally, I get a hold of somebody that knows, and she said, hey, we'll come get you, but I don't have any money. Okay, well, I got money, but they wouldn't release the money to them to get me out. So it was like, ah, are you kidding me? Just get me out of here. Just get me out of here so I can move forward and do whatever. I need. I have to function with my life. I'm going through a divorce. My birthday. Somebody give me a birthday gift. Give me the hell out of here. So they got me out. We don't have a license. Well, I'm single. Have no license. I run a guide service. So at this point, on February 13, 2011, the bad decisions start to compound themselves. And I've drank enough, read enough, heard enough about how bad of a person I am and knew the law enough that, well, I have a driver's license renewal and it's due the 13th. Today's the 13th, I have a driver's license renewal. Went and renewed my driver's license. I don't have a driver's license because they took it. But I went and renewed it. They issued me a new one. Expired uh, 2019 or whatever, and things were great. Now, little did they know, the state of Kansas had my driver's license for DUI and was going to suspend it if I lost, and take it permanently. I knew that, and I knew how to manipulate the law at this point because I'm like, you know what, I'm obviously not winning at this game, so we need to figure out something else because this is not, I've lost my kids, I've lost my wife, I've lost everything, I have a DUI. And in all reality, it wasn't anybody else's fault but my own. I, I was allowing my problems to compound and become worse and worse and worse each week with each decision and everything else. So walked into the DMV. They said, have you refused 
uh, breathalyzer or whatever. He failed it, blah, blah, blah. Said no. As far as you know, and let them issue me another driver's license. Ended up being found not guilty six months later, but said. Wow. How did that happen? Well, when we were sitting in the parking lot calling geese like we were idiots, the guy was sitting across the parking lot on the other side of the street watching us. And when we pulled out, he started following us. Well, we're in the right lane. And when I went to turn right and signal right, he said I didn't signal 90 foot prior to a turn. So then when we, when he pulled me over and I felt comfortable doing field sobriety testing, we were on an on-ramp going on to an interstate. And so one of the questions was, were you on a flat surface? And the guy stated, the officer stated, yes, he was. And then they stated that, did, basically did Ryan, what did he do? And he said, well, he, basically he had a slight impairment. He showed signs that he had a slight impairment. And so they said, you know, define a slight impairment. And so they explained that. Well, then when it came time to test me for field sobriety testing, they asked if there was an incline on the place I was being tested. And they made the statement there was a slight in incline. And so initially the comment was that basically the slight incline of this would be a major decision. And then when they ask the slight income of this, would it be a major decision or not? They said, no, it wouldn't. And so it was contradictory. And it came down to, do you think the incline, you know, they, they said they arrested me because I had a slight weave in my step. And so they said, slight being significant? And they said, no, it's just slight, slight being significant. And the officer stated, yes, that would be, he felt it was significant enough to make the arrest. And he said, was it slight? And he said, yeah, it was slight. And so he let the guy go on for a little while and then, he said, you know, where did you test him at? It's an on-ramp. You know, what was the angle of the on-ramp? He said, you know, 10 to 13 degrees or whatever. And he said, do you think that was significant? And he said, no, it was, 
this light incline going up towards the interstate. And he said, you know, earlier you defined slight as significant, and now you're just defining slight as not significant, but you're using the same word. And so the other thing was if you enter a roundabout, you're in the far right lane, so you're not changing lanes, so therefore you don't need to use a turn signal because you're remaining in the far right lane. So, lucky for me, I got out of it. This was at the time you're at rock bottom. You've, your, your mentality has changed from, I'm a law enforcement officer and a noble outdoorsman that's sponsoring sub-state volleyball so it can be heard on the radio by parents that can't show up and all this other stuff. Your, your, your thought process is changing and now you're at rock bottom and you're just pushing. You're pushing because you don't want to stop and so you're trying to push through everything. You're divorced. You're waiting on an indictment. You're researching stuff on the internet. Things are going worse. You've got a DUI for your birthday. Now you've made it off it, and they charge you a $600, $650 fine for failure to signal prior to a turn, but not for the DUI, because you know you have a good enough lawyer to get you off of it type deal. And you're just trying to push, push, push. It's a really weird scenario that's, I'm asking you all, all you guys that are listening, just close your eyes and think about it as you're losing everything from your kids to your livelihood and whatever, and you're just trying to push through it and drive yourself through it, how that feels and how you're going to go on from there. You, I bought another lodge. I'm trying to sell my old lodge. I'm fighting with my ex-wife over is it partially hers? I mean, our names are on vehicles. Our names are on everything. And I'm like, let's just sell it all and split it down the middle. No, she doesn't want to do that. Okay, then let me be. I'll take the lodge in my truck. Um, she works now for the city of Haven. And I'm trying to rent my old lodge out, but it can't be rented to somebody because it's only zoned as a lodging house. She knows that, knows I have a special use permit. So as I rent to my first renter and I'm starting to make money off that so I can move forward with my life, she's right there. You can't do that. Telling the city council, hey, he's renting it to somebody. There's somebody over there. They're parked over there and they're living there. And they're questioning me as, is there somebody living there or not? I mean, like, your entire world is... Everything that you've known is, like, dissolving in front of your face, and it's not getting any better. And so, go to buy a different house, talk to the bank. The bank says, you don't have any money. You already own one house in Haven and a lodge in Haven. We can't... We can't loan you against a third property, especially right in the middle of a divorce. 
So you got to get your parents involved, and you're 35 years old, and that's just humiliating, and they're trying to keep your head above water, and your lawyer's telling you just keep keep on, business as usual. It's not business as usual. People are calling me, asking me what's going on with this federal raid. Why well, I don't really know. What do you mean you don't really know? And they're telling me we we don't feel comfortable booking a hunt there because we want to make sure that we get our hunt six months from now when we come to deer hunt. We don't want you to be out of business. Well, you're not going to be out of business. And so looked all over, was living in my lodge. My ex was pushing on me. Finally, I found a property in Alden, Kansas, and it was $40,000, a little over. Talked the guy down to about forty. It was spread out on big property where I could do some stuff with it. I thought, there's just, you know, I have a potential to do this with the skinning shed. I have a potential to do this with a guide's house. I can live here, and I can put hunters here talked my parents into backing me and said, hey, look, she's going to have to do something with the house. I'm going to have to sell the other lodge at some point because I'm not going to be in Haven. So I need some help. I'm good for, I, I mean, I'm good for it. I'm good for my word. And, of course, as a parent, they stepped forward and said, you know, no problem. And, uh, they would be there for me, then you know, I was responsible enough to do that. But looking back, you have to look at it like how, uh, you know, what what were they thinking? What what would you think as a parent? <laughs> My son, the principal, the principal didn't just call me. This dude's looking at a federal indictment and wants me to be a signer on a property. So, pretty risky deal, especially looking back. And my parents went on with it and said, okay, bought the property, announced the relocation, got out of the small town, couldn't get out of there quick enough, showed up to a new town, and hey, are you the guy that bought the Bauer place? Yeah, I am. Well, where are you from? Oh, Western Kansas. Because I told them I was from Haven, Kansas, and they started looking up my name. Refuge Forms was lighting me up at that point. Every waterfowl form was lighting me up at that point. The newspapers were lighting me up at that point. Hutch News... Mount Hope Clarion, that it was on the news. I was driving up there to close the deal and heard on the radio the news. Really? And I'm like, this is humiliating. And is this not going to close the deal? Is this not going to? I mean, this is humiliating. 
but heard it like on the radio. Like if you're listening to the, hey, in our local news this morning, uh, no Rocky, he was out there up to no good again, and here we are with a federal indictment that he's possibly facing, but 52 feds showed up at Duck South Outdoors and did this and this and this. I mean, it, you're beyond humiliated. So, all I could think was close the deal on the property before they realize who you are. Close the deal, then you walk into town, hey, what's your name, where are you from? And to be real honest with you, you want to be like uh, Bob from Tucum Curry, Mississippi. Like anything but who you really were. But in the same time, Facebook was following you. Refuge Forms was following you. I heard he bought a lodge in Alden. I heard this. I heard that. I mean, you just can't get away from the negative publicity. You just It's like Miley Cyrus. You just cannot get away from the negative publicity that was going on. And you're thinking, God, please. Let me out of here. So I bought the lodge, walked through the door, um, stood there by myself, looked around, and my initial reaction was business as usual. That's what my lawyer told me, and I'm paying him a lot of money to give me good advice. And his statement was business as usual. Here we are. So where are we going to go from now? And at that point, we, I started making decisions to grow my business and push things into a level that nobody in the Midwest had seen for years. Love me or hate me, you've now pushed me. And here's my response. So would you classify this as like the eye of the storm? This boy, this is a calm. I'm going back at it. You know, we're fine. It's all good. Let's roll. I mean, nobody's ever asked me that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about that as you're asking it. Um... You know, we're, we're a year and a half into it. I'm as alone as alone can be. The guys, like my best friends, like my rider dies, or no longer rider dies. And I was on my own, back to where I was in the beginning. You know, I don't I don't know if I don't know if I was at the eye of the storm and and sad as it may be, I used to tell people that you know, I get to the bottom of this glass there'll be answers. I don't know if I was at that point. Maybe it's just you made a step ahead. By making that positive step, you're just like two tears in a bucket. Let's roll. 
You are, but it's a battle. I mean, it's, it's what, the reality. What I'm saying is there, there, there's been so much negativity surrounding you. You finally moved in a positive direction for once. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I get it. And you, and at that point, you're trying everything in your might to move in a positive direction, and somebody to give you some sort of positive acknowledgement of, hey, he drove by the school and it was on fire, and he put it out. Instead, people would say, hey, he drove by the school the other day and it was on fire. He probably started it. No, <laughs> that wasn't the case. I'm trying to push forward. I'm trying to make life better. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know at that point. I mean, the eye of, a, the, eye of the storm is probably a good... A good example because you are at like you three minutes before that you don't know whether you're going to die or not or whether you're going to make it or whether you're going to be swept away or how things are going to end up or what it's going to look like when you're done and then all of a sudden everything's just calm and you have a hold of it and and I mean, that's that's probably, I mean, I'll give you a lot of credit, Rocky. That's probably the best statement that anybody's ever made. Ever made. Because during that part that you're, you're referring to as the eye of the storm, that, that's the point where I ran. I grabbed everything that I could, physically, emotionally, and whatever, and took off and thought, I have... 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 days, 100 days, 200 days, whatever. No different than being in the eye of the storm. You have a brief period of time where everything's calm. Don't, don't stand there in awe. Move forward. Focus. Drive. Push. Fix. Change. Everything else. And so you're, 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 you're doing that. You're trying to change everything. The course of time, the, the ending, everything. So when I bought the place, it, it had a two-bedroom house, and that's it. But it had outlying buildings I knew I was going to turn into lodges and guide houses. So I brought in skid steers, dug out floors, trench plumbing, made subfloors, developed a 21-bedroom house with kitchens, full-size Galaga games, a wet bar, motion-activated bathroom lights that kicked on with badgers in the, in the walls and Two full-size deer mounts over 190, fighting full-size turkey mounts. A, you know, walk-in coolers, uh, skinning shed, guide places for the guides to stay with air conditioning and whatever. 
I mean, it was it was a part of my life. It was the calm and the storm where you're where you're trying to define yourself and hold on to dreams, and you're missing children and all sorts of other things. And at that point, you're just pushing on the gas. You just go, go, go. At that point, are you emotionally go either way, though? Man, you could hear the, the the song that you ran out to in high school football and it gets you fired up, or you think about your kids and get depressed, right? At that moment. Depends on the night. That's what I'm saying. It depends on the night. I mean, there was, and you can go back. I mean, there's a lot of you guys listening to this that are friends of mine on my Facebook page. There's a lot of you guys who can go back and look, and you'll see during that 2010 time period, 2011 to 2015 time period, where you see, and you can you can walk it out through that time period, and you will see exactly as things started to go south, exactly as things there was hope, exactly. I mean, I'm by myself, I'm spray painting, my old guides are gone, I'm spray painting my lodges, I'm building decks, I'm doing this, I'm pushing on. Um, you can see all those things, and you, I mean, you see me make comments on my down moments of, I don't know if the answer is at the bottom of this glass or not, but when I get to the bottom of it, I'll let you know. And there's other times where it's like, I have all the answers. The emotional roller coaster involved in dealing with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services and what they put you through from the day they walk through the door to the day they indict you to the day they charge you is the most indescribable thing. And that's why when I went to court, I told the judge that I would not wish this on my worst enemy and I will do everything I can to keep somebody else from being there. And when I started toe tags was the day I walked out, the same day I walked out of court. I started a toe tags page, I launched a Facebook page and everything. And if you go back to my original post, they're miserable. People People are like, you're a scam, you're this, you're that, you should be ashamed of yourself, you should kill yourself, you're worthless, and you're just trying to defend yourself. And I remember posting a deal where a guy was riding in on a horse, and he was stating the British is coming. And I felt that way 100%. Look, I'm not going to be the last tagging case. The British are coming. And in the in the name it said, the British are coming, all you can do is warn them or whatever. And you guys can go back on my Facebook page or my toe tags page and you'll see it in there. And the guy's riding a horse. And that's how you feel. You're like trying to help people. It's like running through an apartment complex yelling, fire, fire, fire. And people are yelling, you're, cr- you're fucking crazy. And it's like, no, dude, there's a fire. You're going to die if you stay in there. And people are like, you're, you're stupid. You're crazy. Which makes it very difficult. 
very, very difficult. Well, Ryan, we will jump back into it next week. You know, did your lawyer ever find out about you getting the DUI? Oh, yeah. While all this is going on, what did he say? Um, he said, talk to Philip White, my partner. He's one of the best in the state. Huh. And behave yourself. This was prior to entering a plea agreement. Right? So we're we're in trouble to come in and do the search warrant in December. So just 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 think with me for a minute or two here. They come in and do a search warrant. A month later, uh, I'm not sure things are working so well with us, Rocky. Probably better not showing up to the girls stuff anymore. And here's a uh, business card for my lawyer. Hopefully you'll be all right living somewhere else. And so then you're kind of like, okay, that, that's getting worse. And then, hey, Rocky, 30 days later, it's your birthday. Who are you going to celebrate with, bud? I mean, normally, I mean, I know for the last several years, you've hung out with your wife and your kids, but now you ain't got nobody. And you're not guiding. And you're not running your debt club. And I mean, we put the on Facebook or the refuge forums on who wants to hang out with you, who wants to go to your birthday party, but probably think it's going to be a pretty short list, Rocky. So what are you going to do? I'm going to go two couple good friends of mine and just cut loose and piss on the world type deal. Hey, Rocky, guess what? Welcome to jail, bud. Happy birthday to you. Well, I got to get out of here. <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to show up and bail you out, bud. You only had a few friends that you went out to drink with, and uh, they're home in bed or whatever, but they, they definitely aren't here trying to bail you out. So rock bottom, I mean, you were just driving. You were just pushing rock bottom. And I hope that every listener out there can hear that part, go back and replay it and listen and just not be objective about what's going on, but just listen to it, put yourself in that situation and think, man, how would that really feel? I mean, dude, you're real. You're, it's like getting worse. The problem is just compounding. And it's not well, a poor fit for me deal. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to help people out there. And that's why I said a couple shows ago, things go bad. Grab your wife, grab your kids. I mean, find other jobs. 
you know what, maybe it was you, maybe it's what you went for, but you can find other jobs. You had other jobs before you had this. You worked at a swimming pool, worked at a car wash, worked at McDonald's, worked at a movie theater. You did other stuff. This isn't going to define you. But not having your kids 10 years from now may define you. I agree. So grab what's what's really, really important. If things go bad, grab what's really, really important. The rest will work itself out. If you end up being a car salesman, so what? You're still married with three kids. Whatever. Well, Ryan, we'll jump back into it next week. I think that's a great stopping point. Really good place to stop. Happy 4th of July to you, man. You too, bud. You should, uh, are you going to do something with your, with your kids or what? Yeah, big family barbecue. Well, that's good. Big, big family barbecue on the 4th. But, I'll, well, get Ryan, we will... I'll get my kids Wednesday night from 5 to 8. Mm. And, I'm not, and I'm not trying to make the odd statement. I'm trying to reinforce the statement, Rocky. So I get I get my three kids from 5 to 8 Wednesday night. I think it's dark about 9.30 around here, so you're eating fireworks right out the window. And I don't have them this weekend because I only have them every other weekend. So, what's important, right? That's right. That's right. So, guys out there listening, find out what's important. If you get in the situation on man, find out what's important. Make the adjustments and move forward. No different. If birds aren't working their spread, you make the adjustments and move forward. Well, Ryan, thank you again. Thank you for being here. We want to thank all of you listening to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs>